And it's very interesting how architects develop this skeptical position about everything. And I do not understand why this skepticism, which is absolutely non-profitable, why it still stays in our generation. I understand the other generation. I don't understand why our generation is so, so skeptical. And we are, are so great at adapting to technology, so great to adapting at our social life being digital. We adapt to everything, but we cannot adapt our professional, uh, our profession to current times. And that for me is fascinating. <laughs> Because if we have the ability to adapt to technology in the other fields, we have the responsibility to adapt our professional to other fields. Welcome to the UH Studio Architecture Podcast. We're joined by Mariana Capobueira, who's the founder of her hybrid mixed physical and digital architecture design company called Mariana Capobueira Studios. She's a former architect and designer at Zaka Kadir Architects, and she's also the first fellow DRL grad that I've had on the podcast. DRL is an MARC postgraduate program offered by the Architecture Association in London that's closely affiliated with Zaka Kadir Architects. In the podcast, we touch on a lot of topics, the main ones being what is the significance of the current digital revolution that we're living through in regards to architecture and design and how architects can get prepared for it. And another super interesting topic that we touched upon is how do you maintain your well-being as architects? And as always, thank you to all the Patreons that make this podcast available. If you would like to join, check out patreon.com slash uhstudio. So let's get into it. Uh, for those of you that may not be familiar with Mariana, she is a senior design architect that used to work at Zaka Hadid Architects for a while. And then she, you worked with Wilder, mm-hmm. uh, Wilder Dreams, right? Wilder for Words. Metaverse yeah. Architecture. Wilder Words for Metaverse Architecture. Uh, well, currently I'm actually the founder of my own studio. So that was the last detail that was <laughs> skipped. Um, yes, because it's brand new, right? <laughs> brand new. Uh, I mean, now it's not so brand new. <laughs> it, okay, it's been a month already, and uh, it, it 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 started like I never, I never thought it would start like uh, like that. So we started like really strong, which is a good sign. And now let's see how it uh, evolves. Great, cool. So your own company is it metaverse architecture or is it physical architecture a little bit of both yeah that's the objective um the whole time was to learn from um a good office in this case zaha for architecture in physical environments and then to learn from uh, wilder world for architecture in digital environments and then when both were enough um i had enough knowledge on both to start my own i'll be able to do hybrids and uh, hybridization between the the physical environment and the digital environment. So that's exactly the point that I'm at. I got the digital one, uh, stopped and started my own studio to do exactly that, to hybridize the practice of architecture to digital environments and physical environments, absolutely powered by AI. Not the generative images AI, uh, the candy images that we like, uh, but the AI that actually powers uh, Metaverse is the AI that has been developed by Indivia, um, all the AI that, ha- AI that has been developed for avatars um, for our graphic cards. So that's what will power the Metaverse and that's what I'm hoping to get on my own studio. So Omniverse, is that the Omniverse? Exactly. Bingo, how do you know? <laughs> It's very rare I, to I, see someone who knows. I pay attention. Like, yeah. 
with what's going on with technology, but I have it even installed. I don't know how to run it all. To my knowledge, it's a little bit like Unreal, but more for professionals. Exactly. But I'm not sure if that's really the case. Exactly. I, that's exactly how I see it as well. Um, it's still in the beginning as well, but uh, it's just a matter of seeing how it develops. But the reality is what they are doing with, you know, this big trend on NPCs. They are actually um, something that will help a lot on what we call the metaverse or what we call the Web3 immersive environments, uh, because they will populate it <laughs> and they will make organic uh, behaviors that do, do not rely on having a human behind them to um, make an organic living on, on an immersive digital environment. And that's exactly what we are hoping for and, and waiting for, to be honest. Is that like having a video game character, right? And in a traditional video game, you, you kind of allow them and you say, you know, that person is going to turn left or that person is going to turn right. And you kind of program that behavior. Are you saying that it, you don't need to program that kind of behavior really or is it something yours. different? It's the people around okay. you. You see, see. how um, usually the success of a space uh, translates on uh, how many users or how many people is inside uh, using the space, right? Uh, and this yeah. is very hard, a very hard topic on the current Web3 um, 3D environments because you do have like 10 active players and you do see a big space with 10 active players and you feel like, well, what is this? <laughs> it's kind of mm -hmm. hostile and you leave. Um, but from the moment that you can integrate the NPC, so the, the non-player, uh, the one that is being generated by the AI, it does not have a user behind. Um, and you, nowadays you can tell what an NPC is because it does have a, an odd behavior, it's not organic. Um, but from the moment that you can actually integrate an organic behavior to an NPC, you can fill a concert hall with a thousand people acting organically and normally and you would go to that concert and you probably think i am surrounded with a thousand people and they're actually npcs they are ai generated and this sounds like not so important but it's actually what will dictate the success of a company that does metaverse or that does web3 environments that's very interesting because i imagine that kind of technology would have a very strong crossover into animations as well more traditional media Imagine that, or in movies. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, so I guess that topic brings us to like one of the first questions that I wanted to ask you is: you, you've talked before, you mentioned briefly, not talked a lot about the similarities between physical architecture and metaverse architecture, or shall we call it Web three architecture for better clarity? And so let's, you mentioned. Let's start that... by saying, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We can make that, let's make that disclosure in the end. Uh, we know yeah. Metaverse will be an, an obsolete name in 10 years, probably be a, a, a reason to be mocked uh, at. So I believe it will vanish and they yeah. will look at us as dinosaurs whenever we say the word Metaverse. Um, so let's all say that Metaverse will, it will help us to say the word Metaverse more than saying Web3 immersive environments. So for all the listeners here in 100 years, if you're listening to us, <laughs> when we say Metaverse, we know we are being dinosaurs. <laughs> Web3 wow. immersive environments, this is what we mean. <laughs> 
Imagine that somebody listening to this in a hundred years time. I don't even know what kind of media people would consume then. You know? <laughs> I know, me too. Yeah. Or what kind of architecture they'll be living in. Would it be more digital or physical or like somewhere in between? I believe. I mean, I, 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 if I would not believe in the strongly in between, I wouldn't be doing the studio the way that I am. So I do believe that it will be somewhere in between. And what do you mean? So, so how do you describe that in between? Is it like, um, at some point, I think it died out, but maybe two years ago, there was a trend that you could sell something that's important and unique, and then it would have an NFT attached to it. But you still got a physical thing. But along with the physical thing, you got something digital that was also unique. I don't mm -hmm. know, what, what are your thoughts about that? And is what you're thinking something along those lines or something a little bit different? Well, I mean, it's, kind of, it's very hard to predict how it will evolve, right? We are kind of in the blinds, um, touching the surfaces that we understand, and especially the practices that we understand, and how would these practices translate in digital environments. Um, the reality is our practices, our current practices from our generation, mine and yours, uh, so not the alphas and not some of the Gen Zs, in, they are very different from the practices that actually take place on immersive environments. Um, because we rarely do immersive digital environments. Uh, our digital environments, our generations as boomers and the millennials, is very 2D with a screen uh, that separates us both. We do have our digital life and we have a lot of digital life, especially our social life. Um, but yeah. it is still through a very archaic medium that is a 2D screen. Um, young kids, they are not doing that anymore, right? They are kind of getting closer to this limbo uh, from Roblox. Um, I don't know if you have seen kids using Roblox. It's fascinating. Um, and they are My getting kids are there. a bit young, so and, they're not there yet. We're trying to keep them as much away from the screens yeah. as possible. But they will get there. <laughs> yeah. if, if this is what the social arena is, what can you do, right? Um, but as they get closer to this limbo, it makes us kind of misfits to understand that limbo. We just need to predict. Probably we'll, you will know better than most of us when your kids grow up. Uh, how, how is this limbo and how does it look like? How does having a social life in this environment look like? Um, I, what I think is we have this responsibility as the older generation to regulate it and to, like you are doing with your kids, and, and to say what are the rules for this. We know that this is happening. We know that this will happen, that we will have a strongly digital social environment. How do we regulate that? Because we, do, we are the older ones. We know what are the mistakes that have been done before. Uh, so that's our responsibility. And um, for an office to kind of dwell in this limo, Limbo, the, the goal and, and, and the responsibility is to understand that. How do we regulate something that will inevitably happen? I think that's very important. Uh, and be, because algorithms have more and more an impact on our lives, right? And it's, it's from anything, from the news that we read, from the friends that we keep in touch with, to Absolutely. the TV that we watch on Netflix. It's all, and I see it with my children. They watch Netflix, but they don't have a choice. They think they have a choice, but, you know, the, the system recommends to them, like, number one or number two, or like three or four choices. And they're like, okay, I'll click one of those two. Exactly. And I dare to say that we actually, I get personally very angry when my 
medium online medium does not understand my algorithm i get angry like i don't under, mm -hmm. for example i open google translates uh and they still don't understand after 10 years that i will most likely try to translate portuguese to english or english to portuguese it's been 10 years and the algorithm does not get it and i'm like why i keep up keep up you know the small things or when Spotify gets my music taste algorithm completely wrong, I get so angry. I'm like, how can you not get it? It's been years and years. So it's kind of both, right? We get angry that we have so much algorithm happening around us. And we also get angry when the algorithm is not accurate. <laughs> yeah, I totally get you. And that probably has a big impact if more of architecture experiences in whatever form they might be happen in digitally happen, happen in the metaverse because then how do we guarantee that people are getting you know the right experience exactly. in a similar way yeah, yeah. completely agree with you uh, so 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 how do you uh, is your process the same between designing digitally and physical or not digitally and physically because we're all designing digitally these days but designing for the metaverse is it the same as designing a project that you expect that it might be built at some point? This podcast is sponsored by all the wonderful Patreons. If you'd like to become a Patreon, you directly sponsor more wonderful content like this. And you also get some perks and behind-the-scenes access to files that I do on the YouTube channel. Is my process uh, on designing the Metaverse similar as the process designing uh, physical environments, yes, it is similar. Is this correct? No, it's absolutely wrong. And the people who are doing it uh, are wrong as well. Um, we as architects know as our base foundation of knowledge that uh, form follows function. And if you do have a different practice in a space, your space has the responsibility to change in form, uh, in use. Um, so if we are doing our social life differently in an environment, this environment needs to reflect that. And if it's not reflecting it, it's dumb. It's a dumb space. It's stupid. Um, so we have been seeing a lot of dumb uh, spaces on this metaverse, the Web3 environment, um, where basically it's not designed by architects, but it's designed by people who imitate and copy what architects do in real life without thinking why it was done. Uh, I'm a very big fan of history. I, I know what changed in architecture because of what. And it's usually because of use, because of society, because of practices. So if we copy what we have in real life in a digital environment and we behave very differently in this digital environment, we are just being blind. Um, so that's why one of the reasons why I hope that architects get involved more is to question the typology of space. Which again, it's something that we learn. They did not learn. Game designers did not learn what the typology of spaces. Uh, game graphic designers do not have no idea that there are typology of spaces of architecture, archetypes, and archetypes come from use, come from practice, come from society, come from culture. Um, so if all of these changes, they will have to change and they will have to be questioned. Um, unfortunately, the type I've been doing lately because I was asked to was the typical architecture translated to a digital environment, probably more fluid because that's my style. Uh, so I was asked to do my style, uh, but I was not questioning the archetype because they were not mm -hmm. questioning the archetype, but you should. A tower is not a tower anymore. What do I do there? It should reflect that. 
And that's another thing that from all the conclusions I was all this time doing metaverse, doing my own conclusions of what should I change when I do my office and I do my studio. And this was number one from the day one when I understood we are translating our cities to digital environments like dumb people. And we are doing a copy of it. I I totally get you and feel you because I think either you or somebody else from Wild World Wilder World published an image of Wyami. And I remember seeing that image, which was, you know, some great architecture. But then he had like a ten lane highway that was empty. And I was thinking, why do we need to have an empty ten lane highway in a digital city? Like Nobody's driving there, right? You can teleport yourself. You don't need that kind of infrastructure in there. And it just made me question like exactly what you were saying. We could be using this platform not to simply replicate our world, but even to think about how we can improve it in some ways. Exactly. And to be smarter than that. Why do we copy something that ends? Speaking of highways, highways for me as an urban planner and architect, they are the cancer of my city are literally yeah. the number one cancer of my city uh, and the noise, yeah. uh, every kind of noise, visual noise, feel noise, your comfort around uh, roads and especially asphalt um, and everything that all the problems that brought to our world because of asphalt. No one likes asphalt. Who likes it? You like to run your car on top of it, but who likes like a highway of nine lanes? And it's that kind of thing that I mean, of course, you give your opinion, but you don't drive other people's vision, of course. Uh, but it's these kind of conclusions that you take and you actually think, okay, this, this, has a, this has to change. Unless we are not building the metaverse and we are doing like a game or something. But if you are doing a Web3 immersive environment, why? Why are you copying the mistakes of architects of urban planners? I, and, and that probably goes along with the point you were mentioning, right? First is, what's the reason of making it, right? Is it to be a game or is it a, exactly. using it as a research platform? And secondly, who is doing the design? Is it mostly designers? Is it game developers? As you said, some other graphic artists? Exactly. I, I believe that you, there will be space for all of them to be creating their, their own environment and their own immersive environment. But I could also be very straightforward and say that if you are confused between building a game or is this the metaverse, then you don't know what you're building. If we developed mm. our, we understand our identity, identity when we are adolescents. That's when we develop our identity. That's when you understand what I am and what I am not. If you're building something and you don't know what it is or what it is not, then it has no identity. And you have to decide if you're doing a game or if you're doing a Web3 environment. If until then you are just discovering, it's normal. It's part of your journey to discover what it is. Um, but who you have working um, for this, uh, it will also dictate what it is. So what is a Web3 environment that is not a game? Was Wilder 3, like Wyami, is that a game? I believe... I'm 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 not the Miami builder, so I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but um, I believe that we haven't seen yet the actual Web three immersive environment that happens uh, seamlessly without having a reward system or a city that is copied by another city. Um, 
I think that what's happening with the younger generations, so the, the alpha ones, and what's happening on Roblox, and it does not mean the reward system of Roblox or the quests or the Easter eggs, but it's the way they socialize. Um, they open their cameras, they have video calls before they do whatever. I don't know if you've seen it. They get on video calls, all no. the kids. It's fun. Uh, they stay on this video call, looks like a Skype. <laughs> and they and they chat and they are like just having fun. And then they say, okay, let's get in. And then they get in as a little city that is a very cartoonish city. And then they start uh, discovering spaces while they talk. Like, hey guys, I just saw something here and, and you guys want to check it out? I'm in the bedroom. And people and all of your friends go there and can check. And then there's a quest and there's spooky things or fun things. And then hours go by. Um, and basically this is in this limbo between, is it the game or is it your social arena? And it's kind of very much in the middle, but there are other industries that do not, and do not relate with the gaming industry. And they are probably mm -hmm. the ones that will try thrive the most, uh, from fitness to, uh, cosmetics to, uh, I mean, you name it, concerts, music, art, they will translate to digital environments that are not game. They are not based on reward systems. Um, and we are not there yet to see okay. how does it happen, um, who is the audience, and who designs it. We are, like I said, we are touching, palpably, going around and seeing what is it and for whom is it. And if you are a millennial, if you are a boomer, I dare to say you're clueless about what the metaverse is because it does not come naturally to you and it's normal. It does not come naturally to us. Um, but, uh, if you're doing, if you're doing a game, if you're doing a race car, you're not building the metaverse. You have to understand I that it no. belongs to that generation. You have to understand the sociability aspect of it. And you have to understand the scalability of it. And the scalability means who does it, what genders, what races, uh, what ages. And, um, that, that makes you obliged to understand the variety and the inclusion of what the metaverse will have to be or what the web three environment has to be. So I think the answer is as boomers and millennials, we need to understand what, what do, what are these kids doing? They will become adults one day. And how do we regulate that? And how we, do we not just regulate? That's not the fun part, but how do we um, make other companies mm -hmm. stronger by using it and by being part of it? And, or make our experiences stronger by being part of it. It was kind of a long answer. Sorry, Nimita. <laughs> it's Monday morning. I'm like going. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, Dimit, you're a parent. Uh, how do you educate your children? It's a reward system. Well done. You're up. 
well done, you're talking, well done. It's a reward system. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but it's it's exactly what I was saying. Our our actual life in physical environments are based on reward systems. We work for a reward system for a reward. We do efforts for rewards, and we expect those rewards in everything we do. We've been trained well as children, I think. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> exactly, and as children, that's how you you keep them going. Is the well done. You did well, amazing. <laughs> the reward. Uh, as a parent, you know, I click like on a couple of posts for like psychology for children, and then you know you get a flood. The algorithm starts to understand <laughs> that I'm into that, so yeah. I get more and more of them. And I can't was... imagine. <laughs> I can't and imagine was... the niche. Yes, and there was one exactly on this. It says instead of saying "well done," you know, just like giving them praise all the time, you say. Oh, well, that's great. Let's do it again next time. You know, like uh, a, a slight, <laughs> slight switch. Dimitaro, that's so hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's the way I, I was kind of raised at school. You know, when you have like the first, you have the first um, um, exams batch. And then you have the second one. If you did file, like you, you can go to the second batch, you know, like the cycles of exams. You do the finals and then you have a second call. So mm -hmm. my parents, even if I have like a very good uh, mark on the first one, they would say, well done. And now you have the second one to improve that. <laughs> I would always go to the second one to improve. <laughs> so Great. it's kind of like that. Uh, and, and thinking about the education system, it's also in a way architecture, right? When mm -hmm. you're at a crit as a student, your teachers, your professors, the invited jury, they never say you did an excellent job. Right. Yeah. They said, oh, that works really well. But how about we do this here? And how about we yeah. change that here a little bit as well? So it's a big yeah. topic, actually. And if you go past education and then you go to offices and the lack of real world at offices, that's a big topic. <laughs> verbal it's... reward, even. I, I'm not even talking about like a financial reward, like verbal rewards. Well, that's the unwritten agreement in a way in offices, isn't it? You do not get like verbal exactly. praise. Your praise is your check. And, you know, in London, your check is very meager. So your praise is not a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You summed it up perfectly. When, when there's, you would solve at least like 60% of the problems with verbal reward. That's what I believe. With, yeah. Well done. Good job. This looks well, awesome. My, my wife, she's into personal development and she was organizing seminars as, uh, for a while. So I, I did all of them and, you know, I've understood like the importance of communicating uh, more, how shall I say, m more sincerely, more honestly, you, you know, and that's something that's not only missing in architecture, but it's missing in all professional fields. You know, some mm -hmm. industries a little bit more ahead than others. But from my experience, from what I've seen, is that architecture is one of the more conservative industries where we're like back there with the banks, you know, and you can see it, you know, like sitting and standing desks 
are still like something that offices don't have in architecture because you know it's a new thing you know and so on so yeah. so it might take a while for it to land in our industry yeah i think so too it's a matter of progress well that was a great little chat i can talk so much about uh the other side of things, the psychology side of things, but maybe we'll keep that until later because I have quite a few more like uh, metaverse questions yeah. that I want to ask you. Uh, so uh, at some point at one of the podcasts that I listened with you, uh, you, were, you mentioned something that I found super fascinating and something I've thought a lot about that and we know it's about 90% of the work that architects do does not get built, Right. Maybe some smaller architects in smaller countries, they do have more of like, let's say, relationship with builders and so on and do residential additions. But design architects in places like London, New York, Tokyo, you know, there's so many competitions, so many feasibility studies that 90% of the work doesn't get built. That's my humble assumption. It might even be more, right? And a lot of those projects are fantastic projects. They're great projects, right? But the world doesn't find out about them. Some of them are guided <laughs> by NDAs, but some are not. So you mentioned that the metaverse could be like an interesting place for those buildings, those projects mm -hmm. to live. Can you speak yeah. a little bit more about that? Sure. So I realized that there is this very big depository of um, projects that will never see the light of days. When I joined um, the Cathedral of Architecture for me, that is Zahadid Architecture, um, and when I joined, I was really young, and one of the first things that I realized was that the best projects and the the best architecture I've ever seen or architectural design I've ever seen was actually on the inbuilt and built list. Um, mm. And I was pretty shocked, and not just shocked, but kind of heartbroken. And I was not even, I mean, I, I just got to the office. I imagine what the owner of the office, what Saha would have felt. Um, by knowing that her best projects were actually the unbuilt ones. And they are, Mita, absolutely, like, fascinating. They are, like, breathtaking. And you just see them because you work there and you are allowed to see them, but no one will ever see them. Um, and when I was starting to do my own cemetery of projects, so projects that were just going to social media and then die, um, <laughs> And I was also getting, I was kind of sad also to depart from those projects and knowing that they would never have a purpose until the NFT um, talks and, and the metaverse talks started. And, and that's the first time I see the light, I saw the light for uh, my own unbuilt and my own cemetery of projects. And I thought, okay, wait, they can be experienced. They are not going to be experienced as physical environments. So, I mean, we will never see their full potential which is still the physical environment. Uh, but you can still walk around inside of them and you can still hear and you can still feel to, to uh, a limited experience, but you could still see it. There's, there's a future for them. And, and that's when I realized wait, if, Zaha, if, if the metaverse was, or, or the web environment was as mainstream as we can see it in our heads, and it was already a platform where you can just upload an experience, which will be will happen, not now. Um, Zaha could have their own world of unbuilt projects. Imagine that. And I can tell you, as an outsider, that will be fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they they should charge a ticket for people to just visit their unbuilt cemetery. Mm. Um, 
obviously would have to be at their full potential. So our graphics card should be able to handle it. It shouldn't have to go through like major disruptions on optimization, which kind of ruins the experience of the curve. So it, we need time to see that. Um, but hopefully this will help on this lack of productivity that of architecture offices have. That it's a very big issue, actually. It's the fact that we are most of the times we are building something that we'll never see have any purpose, and this will solve that. Uh, it will solve that that problem that we have of doing work that never see the light of day. We don't have a lot of professions that have that, right? Like work yeah. that is like for no reason, no purpose, and dies. Um, so if you do have that option in the future, imagine how much also financially what this means. So hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed it happens. And because you do have now experience with building for the metaverse, you mentioned that you think that the technology is just not there yet. So you're not thinking like some of the low rest places that exist today, like the central land or similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just built for the central. Nice. Uh, no, <laughs> stay out of the central land if you are an architect. Out. <laughs> Wait a bit. <laughs> um, unless you're doing something more conventional, of course. But if if building for what is called a metaverse environment, um, if building for them, it's more fighting against their obstacles towards your build and towards your building, if fighting against the obstacle of, of their own obstacles is most of the work, then it's not, it's not there yet. There's no point to be just fighting for something to, for your creativity to happen, especially on a digital environment. So if you're doing 90% of fighting and 10% of creativity, there's no point. Mm -hmm. um, and right I now I feel like I'm doing most okay. of it is fighting. And is the fighting like more about optimization of geometry that can go into a low race place like this, or is it more yeah. of? It's the magical number of um, frame per second. Right. FPS. So frame per second is what really matters in uh, Web three immersive environments, and it come everything comes to that. It's not about uh, how many polygons it has, or it's how fluid. Your movements, which in real life you see it absolutely fluid, right? Smooth, fluid. And we want that transition to digital environment smooth and fluid. So the frame per second of this, we want that frame per second on a digital environment. If you feel like you are walking around and there is this like slight uh, imposition on space, you don't want to be there, you leave. Mm. Um, so when your geometry is really heavy, frame per second goes lower. Uh, or when your materials or texture are very heavy to be loaded by a graphic card, your frame per second goes lower. Um, and this obviously devalues the experience on, in space. So the central lens and also another big um, criteria for your frame per second is how many players are inside, how many people are experiencing. So how many people do, I, do you need to capture per second? which is also very demanding. And Decentraland being one of the biggest platforms, public platforms uh, that brag about having no limitations on players. What do they have? Low polycons. <laughs> yeah. A really low. Stuff. So they go for, we're gonna make this really public and you allow a lot of people 
and take this from designer, from architecture, because we actually want this to be a success with people. And that's what Omniverse will do with the NPCs. Um, can you... They'll fight against that. So can you, NPC was the people, right? What does NPC stand for? Non-player, I don't know, I need to see. Okay, something non-player, computer or something Computerized, like probably. Right. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, and then you go to other metaverses, like for example, Worlds. I was developing for Worlds for the Biennale. And uh, they allow, I imagine, the central land is 65,000 polygons and Worlds is 400,000. But they have a limitation on players, which is 30 people in the same space at the same time. So it's these kind of compromises that you're still doing that hopefully becomes a bit more, you know, smoother. That's very interesting. So I didn't know that the, 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 the technology is not there yet because I know. it's, you know, PlayStation 5, right? Or whatever it is now in Xbox, you know, you play those games there and they're like super realistic these days. But I, uh-huh. I, I suppose they're single player, although I think they have like a lot of multiplayer versions of them, you know, when people are talking on headsets and things like that. But yeah. with the games, they do a lot of tricks with the textures, right? They they do like uh, high poly, then they bake it, then they use a low poly and put those baked textures on the high poly. I made. did a lot of that baking in Blender. Right, okay. That's what Blender was so good at, was yes. baking, faking stuff, faking <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. But curves might be a bit difficult. So we would definitely see a big, like big architects metaverse before we see a Zaka Hadid architects metaverse. I'm not sure because look at me, I'm pushing for it. <laughs> yeah. True. I'm not going to let this go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And can you experience the Omniverse outside of high-end NVIDIA video cards? I don't think so. No. I haven't tested as well, uh, but I don't think so. I think it's NVIDIA's. It's their work and it's their legacies as well. So I suppose if today somebody wanted to do their own repository, digital... Uh, immersive repository of their projects. They'll probably be either using Unreal or Unity. Omniverse or Unity, you think? Yeah, Unity. It should be Unreal because I, I am a strong believer that Unreal will power the metaverse. Uh, but right now, I think Unity is the one that is being used in Decentraland. So it's just like the user experience in Unity is so bad. It's really a bad software. Mm. Like really, <laughs> looks like an old Excel where you could not, you would never know how to do it. And Unity is that complicated. Right. Uh, so, it, and that's probably for having like an online platform, right? But if you want to have it offline, like you have a computer mm-hmm. and a couple of screens in a gallery space, let's say, yeah. you can probably do it in whatever you want because you have the good hardware locally available. Yeah, or also you can also join other small platforms like Spaces DAO, uh, Moniverse, um, Worlds is also very good. So the Spatial, um, so all of these are like good spaces where you could open your gallery, your small ga- gallery. And with the small limitation of players, and then you decide, do I want limitation of players or do I want limitation of design? Also, the central end is more expensive. It's very, I looked into it, you know, 
six months back or something because I was interested. And I think it was, again, after one of your talks where you talked a little bit more about it. I was like, oh, I better go and, and research, yeah, good. see what's going on. And what do you think? And, and the central, I was astonished at the prices. I, I can't, like, fathom how you in this digital world, somebody that they created, right? Like, you and I can go and we can create a similar digital world. Of course, you know, there's probably a lot of infrastructure investment that's required there to keep the game the game running. But essentially, that's what it is. And then yeah. inside of that, you decide, okay, this plot is going to have a price. Somebody's going to buy it. They see it's growing and they say, okay, so yeah. the values keep rising. Now we have advertisers, right, during their pavilions in there. I think I randomly stumbled on a big pavilion. I did for, as well. <laughs> yeah. It must be somewhere near the center, right? They, yeah. That plot was expensive. <laughs> that plot <laughs> right? was... And then you have this man with like a whole... The atlas around, like behind him and he's just like walking with the whole atlas. Did you see that? I don't remember like that. I just remember the architecture because like you say, everything there is just so yeah, blocky just... and like flashy and not very good. So there was one experience. I was like, oh, that... It's a bit interesting. It feels like there was actually some design thought in it. And yeah, I read it about it. You could tell that there was some design thoughts. Yeah. But it's just insane because even now, I, I don't know how much a tiny little plot is. It's probably like $2,000 really? or something, which puts it like out of the reach of people that just want to get started yeah, I know. with it. I don't think it's the right platform. But yeah. Mm. So you you mentioned all the other ones. You think those are like the right platforms for people that are... I think they're the right ones to start with, for sure. I think the big ones haven't already entered the arena. They mm -hmm. will. <laughs> I think they will. I think they are preparing it. It's just everyone is outside of the... Most of the people are outside the trenches just looking how it develops, which is a smart thing to do, right? Because you take less risks. Um, yeah. But are also kind of delays... Uh, the progress in what could mm. be the Web3. But then, you, okay, I, I totally get your point. There should be more people experimenting, especially architecture, but there has to be an incentive, right? Because time exactly. spent trying to do that, uh, if you're a professional, is time spent less into avenues that you know can feed your family. What's the right? reward? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's the reward system? Where's my cookie? I know. We just don't do it with no cookies. We don't do it. I know that. Or we, yeah. we do a little bit. For example, I'm not doing a studio that is full on uh, immersive environments. Because of that, I know that there's a huge risk to dedicate my life and my brain to, uh, into that full time. So what I do is the smartest thing to do. Let's hybridize it. I know that the other practice works. I know that yeah. whenever this practice works, it will power the other one financially by a lot. Mm. Um, so the answer is to hybridize it. Right. I think diversifying these days is smart in any situation yeah. just because due to economical reasons, you don't know which side is going to go down. Absolutely. For example, you probably graduated around a similar time, but I finished uh, my uh, Bachelor of Architecture in 2009, right, in the U.S., yeah. And, you know, out of 36 people that we graduated in my class, I think two or three found a job the next year. Really? I was lucky to find, to, to be like one of the people a little bit later to find just because of the crisis, right? They got, like the whole construction industry got hit really hard. And it's, so it's these kinds of cyclical things that make sense to 
perhaps think a little bit beyond traditional architecture processes. Yeah, true. But also 2009 was kind of tough because then you had 2011 that was like a big economical crash, especially in the Mediterranean. Um, I did get a bit more, not luck, but uh, people around me, they got their, their jobs under this horrible practice of unpaid internships in Portugal, which was one of the reasons I left. But they did get their their entertainment without being paid their job. Yeah, do you have Alvaro Cesar? And yeah. who was the other guy? Soto de More. Yeah, Eduardo Soto de More. And they share an office, I believe, in Lisbon, right? They do. Or I mean, building or something like that. I think Alvaro doesn't have the age anymore to me. He's 90-something. <laughs> I, I only know it because uh, I worked at David Ajay, who's, you know, in the media for not so good reasons right now. Uh, and there were so many Portuguese people that were working there. So really? many. So I found a lot about the wow. the culture. but. And it's because David used to work, I forget for which one of them, but he interned in Portugal for a little bit of time. Ah, really? I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, but it makes sense. Right. So, Maya, is that still your tool to go? Yes. <laughs> yes? Yeah. It's like my home. And does it, <laughs> I does live it play inside. well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like swimming. Uh, it's like being underwater and swimming. Like being a mermaid, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of my environment, yeah. I am very comfortable, it's like a safe space. <laughs> my wife used to joke, she was my girlfriend at the time, but when I was at DRL, she's like, ah, are you out on a date with Maya again? <laughs> you know? It, it, I also Maya treat sees... Maya as a girl, as a woman, as like a stubborn <laughs> one. <laughs> because sometimes she's just like, wants to do whatever she wants to do, and like, what? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Yeah, but true. I also treat her like a, a woman with her own behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, see, Blender doesn't have that same ring to it, you know. I can't go out for a day with Blender. It doesn't, I know, no, doesn't, it doesn't sit as well as, as my, it doesn't have such a nice name. True. And it also has its own things. That they're like, it's Wah. got its own quirks, <laughs> oh yes. It's more of like a stubborn Dutchman, you know. Yeah. Oh my than... God, yes. <laughs> Dutchman. What about Rhino? Oh. I would see Rhino, Rhino more as a, like a German. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, I, I don't know how to say it. They're Seattle-based, right? So it's kind of chill sometimes. Sometimes it's chill. But if you hit it the wrong way, it's oh going to be right up in your face. It can know? be it's very like, aggressive. What in the world yeah. are you doing? Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Yeah, Seattle-based, totally. You know, True. West Coast. Like, chill until you rub it the wrong way. And then it's... Yeah. You know, people do all these kind of like interesting portraits of like buildings, you know, of like uh, Marilyn Monroe or you yeah. know, all those kinds of things. It'll be interesting to do a similar thing with uh, I've seen the it. software. I've seen it. I've seen it. And it was hilarious. And it had Houdini as well. Like they, I've did. seen a lot of memes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I very geeky, very geeky. Then. But I was laughing my ass off. Cool. So are other people using Maya for Metaverse or... No. What <laughs> you know of? <laughs> what do they use? No PDS Max or? There's Blender. Blender. Just Blender. Blender. Oh, Blender, interesting. Blender. Everyone does Blender because um, Blender is a very good medium for the platforms that we have already. So like the materials created instead of Blender, they are very readable on the other platforms. I mean, the, um, 
when I'm what I mean with readable is their properties are um, being transposed in their GLB. For example, it exports as GLB, and most of um, the format that you need to import to uh, immersive environments is GLB. And um, when you create a metal in Maya, probably the metal property will not pass um, in in FBX to these platforms. But if you create a metal, their values will be like perfect for Decentraland or World. So Blender is right now a very good medium for that. And most of the people work in Blender for it. You know, secretly inside, I'm jumping like a little baby at the moment. <laughs> True, I had to learn it. You saw it. At some point, I was yes, like, oh, yes. let me download this shit. <laughs> Here I go, YouTube, beginners. And you're like, my God, another one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It, it, it's. It, I didn't know that to be honest, because I don't use it in that way. You know, materials for for designers are a bit of an afterthought, right? They, I know, I know. we don't really. But geometry wise, you know, and that's what I wanted to do with you is maybe have like a face off between Maya versus <laughs> versus Blender. <laughs> so let's, open our, let's open our platforms and then uh, we need to design. <laughs> I don't know a concert hall. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Who does it faster? <laughs> No problem. That would be a good challenge. <laughs> it's a to challenge. Do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's do. Let's stream it as well. <laughs> we should do that. We should totally do that. Okay. Uh, maybe, in fact, we may we could design like two venues and then design the envelope around them. So okay. like the interiors and then put it together. That's and so. Figure all that out. Okay. <laughs> no, but I, I I would be very curious to see like what's the actual speed. But we sh we cannot rely on human skills because I mean it depends on how much you know Blender, how much I know Maya. What's the actual human speed that doesn't rely on humans? So the NPCs would and be we need an NPC using that is an expert yes. on both. Yes, and then we compare the time. Yeah. Uh, so for me, like. And I always get this question, right? Why Blender? Why all this? Yeah, yeah it's too. open source. That's great. But uh, it, it's it got like, um, you know, in Maya, you have the history, right? Yeah. Um, but and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, after DRL, I didn't use Maya that much. But it typically gets in your way. So you apply it at some point, right? Because yeah. then it can crash and break things. I clean the history like of the objects more than I use the history. Sometimes it's right. very useful for like yeah. parametric stuff, especially. But most of the times I'm like cleaning, cleaning, cleaning history, cleaning history. So in Blender, it doesn't have history at all. So it's not that inherently parametric. But at the same time, it has like a lot of the modifiers, like in 3ds Max, and mm -hmm. you can combine a lot of them. So you have like a ray, for example, or a mirror, all those super basic things that we need and tend to need to use all the time. So because they're so easy to access, you can module procedurally with such speed. You know, yeah. for example, uh, one, the Futurely course that I did, which is basically a radio array. So I only focus on like modeling one bit, but yeah. because it's so easy to set up, then you can kind of see the whole thing. That that's it, really. I think. But Maya also know, has that. It's the does same. It? Yeah, and it has yeah. the same mirror. You could just and it blends also, like merges. Yeah. 
yeah, at, at this point, they probably, you know, you can do whatever you want in both softwares. What you can add on your white blender is like it actually is taking, it has a big, um, a big role on the stage for creating spaces for uh, immersive environments. It is a medium, like I'm doing Maya and then I go to Blender. So imagine, mm -hmm. but I do prefer this modeling in Maya. I also know that the materials in Maya will not be readable. So, and for some stupid reason, Maya is not exporting SGLB unless you uh, insert, download the plugin. So I use Blender that does all of that. It exports SGLB, it also has animations like Maya, and it develops materials that are readable outside of Blender. Yeah. So on top of that, it has geometry nodes, I suppose. That's another more like newer development, but it's a bit like Houdini. Uh, so it's not quite like Grasshopper for architectural use, so more like Houdini, but it, you can definitely do a lot of the things you can do in Grasshopper within really... geometry nodes. And that makes it like super fast because you're in this mesh-based, you know, program instead of NURBS. So uh, imagine like... Like having like just, I, and I've done some experience with that where you have like a floor plate and you just want to do some kind of a tractor base, you know, curvature from like yeah. a, an element, uh, you know, doing 90 floors, let's say, you know, something crazy. It does it super fast. As, yeah. Whereas in Rhino, you know, if you do the same thing with Grasshopper, it, it just lags a little bit because of the way that the software is yeah. set up. I think modeling wise, Maya is doing something similar with MASH. So MASH is kind of an integration of systems. Uh, inside of Maya, uh, M-A-S-I-H. Um, so modeling-wise, I would never depart from Maya. Like it is, it has the level of accuracy that Rhino uh, exaggerates on. So it kind of gives you a bit of freedom. It's still accurate and it's not ra so random and it's still very free. So I would never let let Maya go. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're describing Blender. You describe yeah, it the know, same way. I know. I describe Blender, and it's it's subdiff essentially, isn't it? If you know what you're doing with subdiff, and you have like really easy access to understand like how you, you know, where you put your loop cuts and how you tweet your edges, and just a very strong understanding of topology, then it's like Oof. super rich. I'm not sure if I agree with the subd inside Rhino. No? You mean? No, yeah. no, not inside of Rhino. Ah. Inside of Maya and Blender. Oh, yeah, in that sense, definitely. But sub D inside of Rhino is not there yet, for sure. I uh, saw um, Mike Pryor do a workshop. I think it's on Live Academy. You know, we also like teachers, we get like free access. So I mm -hmm. always go and check out what you're doing or what somebody else is doing. And I saw him using it. And I was surprised that he's doing like pretty good job. I wouldn't yeah. use it also, but no, no, no. it seems like people can. I have already, uh, but I don't think it's the best one to for for farm finding. Farm finding should be like uh, be more free than that. You have to calculate and to be too precise to do sub D still uh, successfully. And for farm finding, I think Meyer Blender they're still out there. They're still the number ones. That's what I think. And that's what exactly what I say when, you know, people are like, why should I use Blender? Why should I? I know Rhino, right? Why should I use Blender? And it's that thing, isn't it? It's like when you get yeah. too 
like you have to be super precise in Rhino. It's just like working in AutoCAD, right? You have to know like millimeter accuracy is, every yeah. point. And you can't do that when you're sketching in 3D. And that's what we're doing a lot of the time, isn't it? It's like just exactly. sketching in 3D. You have to be like free, fluid, be able to move things how you uh, desire a lot more than, you know, have the exact coordinates of specific points. Yeah, definitely. It also depends on the office that you're aiming at, right? If you're if you're still looking for a job, probably look for the other softwares that they are using. Uh, if you want this for your like own practice, then research on what's the software that fits the best my own uh, style or or my own practice or workflow. So it's it should be personal or it should be about the offices. So another question that I had for you is just thinking about it. If an office like Zaha were to start today, what do you think they'll be using? Maya. <laughs> Maya. I think Maya. Uh, I'm not sure about that. It fits their curve. It fits the mathematics that they look for. Because there's still a mathematical rule in the way that Maya does curves. Like the so, smooth... The Catmull-Clark uh, algorithm that runs behind what is fluidity in Maya is an algorithm that has parameters. So if, when you grab these parameters for uh, construction and you grab them in Rhino, the parameters are there. Like, the algorithm is there. Um, yes. So you can still rationalize from it. For example, one of the best things to rationalize whatever you do in Maya is to export the low poly and yep. run the curve on top, the low poly, completely rough. And the curve that your nerve curve that will come from the low poly in Maya will be exactly the same curve as the Maya Catmull curve. So this kind of mathematical rule, I mean, Maya was used at Vaza. Um, so it is pretty accurate. There is an algorithm running. And that's very useful for rationalization still. So that's something I probably want to clarify here. So Catmull Clark, it, so Catmull and Clark are the founders of Pixel, and they created like the algorithm in like the seventies or the eighties. I forget exactly when, uh, and it's open source algorithm. So actually, all the softwares that have you know, and it has different names like Tremote or Subdiv or TurboSmooth. It's all the same, and under the hood, they're all using the same Catmull Clark algorithm. Yeah. So, to do their magic. It's it's genius. We had yeah. to study Kalkmul Clark in uh, DRL, right? We had to like actually study their background. It's been so long ago. In fact, we tried to have like a 10 year reunion recently. And, really uh, 10 years? Oh yes. my God. <laughs> yeah. Graduated in 2013. So for me, 10 years. I think for me like six or seven. Right. So soon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's wonderful actually to look back into it, you know, because and if there's anybody that's thinking about DRL these days, it's still like the place that I would highly recommend, you know, because the way that you're taught to investigate projects, yeah, for me is the right way, right? You do a lot of experimentation, you mix the physical with the virtual, and then you progress. You do another set of yeah. experiments and so on i'm i'm always very careful when i'm uh recommending Garrel because i recommend it with my whole heart like you said it has this research side of it that the others don't have so it's not just yeah. you're experimenting and putting stuff together and seeing what comes out of it you do need a very strong theoretical background 
and you're asked to develop it to a level. You need to develop your uh, theoretical background as much as you develop your project, which is hardcore. So it is very heavy when it comes to research, actual um, theoretical research. But then it's such a niche. I mean, it's really expensive. And I honestly sometimes feel really bad to be recommending it as number one. So I usually say like DRL or Padlet, uh, BPRO, it's like one third of the price and it's probably more accessible. Not no, anymore. No? Not anymore. No way. <laughs> no. no, because what happened? It, it, Brexit, that's what happened. Ah, no way. So, so now Europeans have to pay the same price as all international students, which I think is, is something like... I'm not sure exactly the exact same, the exact price, but I think it's either twice or even more than twice the price you would pay if you're a British national. Wow. For to study in any university in the UK. I remember if Bartlett was like seven k, and like the IL was thirty-seven yeah. or thirty-two. Yes, but now. You know, if you come from Europe or anywhere, I think before that, it was also the same for people that didn't come from the European Union. You still had to pay the international price. But now Europeans also have to pay the international oh, price. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's changed the dynamics of, like, UK universities a bit oh, as well. That's a shame. You know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you still have Vienna <laughs> and Barcelona. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in Europe, there's a few, right? ETH, IAC. Yeah. Uh, University of Vienna, Delft, Berlach is, yeah, is you know, one, a little bit less, Copenhagen. Uh, but outside of that, actually in the US, schools are even more expensive I know. than the European. I mean, that's a whole other subject. What yeah. they do in the US with education is like, get the hell out of there. <laughs> it has its positives and negatives. It's, you know, uh, it's not, let's say, a structured like DRL, like there was a methodology for the whole program that, you know, Theo, Patrick, Brett have designed. All right. So they wanted all of us to learn all of those specific things. Whereas in the UK, uh, so, whereas in the US, it's still like pick and choose, right? So you you take, you know, this subject, but you're free to take some other subject, you know? So you're mm -hmm. exploring your own interests a little bit more. But it's not, let's say, as intense in that specific direction as a place like DRL would be. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't don't take me wrong. I was not mentioning like the structure of uh, the academia structure. I know they have yeah. really good teachers, but it's the fact that you carry depth, financial depth with you for knowledge. That's beyond my comprehension. Like in Portugal, when you're a really good student, you have the the capacity to join the public school. Actually, like the public school is the best school is where the best teachers are. And part of the public school is you don't pay fees anymore. So everyone studies harder to get in the public school and and the big architects work for the public school. So it's the opposite. Like there's no financial mm. debt, but on, on the contrary, you work harder to not to pay fees anymore and to have the best teachers. And I know the US is the opposite, like straight the opposite. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that's very interesting because... And I think you speak about that a lot as well, about the democratization of, of education, right? Yeah. Of access to quality education with, with your online courses, you know, which gives access to a lot of people that, you know, probably don't need to go to DRL to get that kind of experience. I mean, 
as you said, you know, there's the whole theoretical side, which we don't talk that much about, which is just as important because it allows us to have a very strong foundation to base those digital experiments on. But it's still like getting your feet wet in a way, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm teaching online. And I left the big institutions, which I was working for big institutions. And I left yeah. because I was not getting the profit that I could as a teacher. And my students were not getting the profit they could as students. And it was actually mm -hmm. a big decision. I left the DRL as, as a teacher and then made it widespread. I have a lot of DRL students taking my courses online outside of DRL. Yeah. And, and it's a very, that's another very big topic, especially when it comes to decentralization of power in educational systems that's happening and you are part of it you're teaching outside and we are having yeah. a direct uh, it's exactly what's happening with what we talk on the web 3 we're having a direct relationship of student teacher you pay me i give you direct there's no intermediate there's no old people that you're giving money to there's no old institution or old name in the middle it's between you and me direct and clean transaction of knowledge and reward for for getting the knowledge and this is happening and it's wild how fast it's happening that's my diversification strategy actually it's like i'm doubling down on education and you know making a new platform as we speak and going to yeah. publish a lot more courses because I see it as like really important to give a lot more people access. And for me, that's probably another reason why I stick to Blender as well is because it's free. And so it's yeah. accessible to all people everywhere in the world, I which I think is important. I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, my studio, I give them the, the, the Maya that they cannot get like from the dark web, <laughs> the dark web. I mean, um, <laughs> the free Maya. But I, I agree with that stick. I would definitely, I think that what you're doing is great as well. Stick to Blender. I know Blender will be probably the number one platform for creators who are building online. I know that. I can see. Like, it's yeah, just it's... the beginning for it. And and this year we have, uh, so I'm going to be presenting actually how Blender is useful for architecture at the annual Blender conference in Amsterdam. And so yes. it's uh, Alessandro Zomparelli who does a lot of experiments. He's along, he's around as well in some of the platforms that we him, teach. Yeah. I've seen him. Yeah, he's doing around. really great stuff at SDU in Copenhagen. So, yeah. uh, and he's using it not only for design, but also for construction, which is fantastic ah, too. Really? Yeah, to 3D print like specific parts that they then put together. I need to see what he's, he's doing now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, I, you know, we but I'm the Blender guy, so I'm always excited anything you know about Blender, and especially the part that I probably don't talk that much, but democratization is really important. Having yeah, giving access to people that uh, wouldn't other otherwise have access to it, because at the end of the day, I mean, the work that we the the work that we do, we spend so much time designing, right? So much time. And we should have access to our files at any point. You know, maybe somebody stops doing architecture for a while. Maybe, you know, you have a child or something, right? Exactly. You don't want to pay subscription, but at some point, you know, you maybe get a client. What do you do? <laughs> it's 
it's yeah. crazy and everything that comes with that exactly like unreal unreal engine is free um and they tried to make it uh they asked epic games to actually to charge and epic games said no unreal is free so they kept unreal as free and what comes with that and also same with blender is you have a lot of people who give out knowledge outside for nothing you have small introductions maybe not at your level the expert level does deserve a reward uh, but if you want to be a beginner and how do i start you have a lot of knowledge that was like just given away as like a good charity or you know these small communities that are created from it and you don't have that in maya unfortunately you don't have knowledge outside maya how to design maya as an architect and you have the whole zaha office un studio some of the bigs who are doing Maya, where's the knowledge? It's nowhere to be seen. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's literally you and a couple of people that yeah. around you, right? That you trained and exactly. are around the platforms now. Yeah, it's very yeah. super niche. It's a super niche. And when you're learning it, I mean, at the DRL, I had to buy a book to learn how to design in my a book oh it's that um, do you know the book american asian <laughs> professor right and the book is horrible yes i have it. <laughs> there was like one trick that i i liked it but yeah, it yeah. Was, how do you learn how to design from a book yeah yeah, yeah. great cool uh so are you going to be i i are you going to be doing any physical buildings anytime soon in your own practice? I have one uh, lined up. Uh, nice. Yeah, uh, a mansion. And yeah. that will be like kind of my source of entertainment for the next weeks. But I'm very focused on uh, extending this to the digital practice because I've seen it. I've seen the financial gains of that. And I'm, I'm a strong uh, believer and I care a lot for our physical environment and i'm passionate i'm mediterranean i'm passionate about palpable stuff and yeah. uh, and real sensations like physical sensations um but i also know that our profession has this big issue on being underpaid and even the great architects are underpaid for great architects um and what this will the way this will be solved is to be financial supported by something else and yeah. i believe that since they are so compatible building for a virtual environment, uh, getting a seed fund for doing a, a virtual environment. And and this can still be translated to physical world. You can bring one building to the other one seriously, almost. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I, I'm strongly investing on that one first, on the digital one. And I want to put okay. my time and my brain on, on building a, an actual proposal for a, a digital environment under my vision and under my what I think that should be what 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 an immersive experience should be and a society that is run online should be that's super exciting to hear i can't wait to see it and what do you think for architects because you mentioned something that i totally agree with you know as architects and it's just the nature i think of capitalism and i've thought about this a lot right of what capitalism values and capitalism values capital right not service time yeah. which you spend on something <laughs> so as architects we're kind of unfortunately at this period in time a little bit fucked right so yeah. 
then, then is uh, you have to look beyond that in some way. And you know, some of the most successful architects I know, they this they realized that quite early on and decided, okay, you know what, we're going to start buying land when it was cheap back, you know, twenty thirty years ago, and yeah. now they're developing it. So they're yeah. like architects. So, so I completely agree. Unfortunately, that you you have to do things outside yeah. of architecture. So how do you? Uh, suggest that people jump into uh, just exploring like the possibilities of you know jumping on the metaverse economy as yeah. architects so um i think that as architects we are not a little bit fucked you are a little bit fucked if you stayed on on the conventional side of it and it's very interesting how architects develop this skeptical position about everything and I do not understand why this skepticism, which is absolutely non-profitable, why it still stays in our generation. I understand the other generation. I don't understand why our generation is so, so skeptical. And we are, are so great at adapting to technology, so great to adapting at our social life being digital. We adapt to everything, but we cannot adapt our, professional, uh, our profession to current times. And that for me, is fascinating <laughs> because if we have the ability to adapt to technology in the other fields we have the responsibility to adapt our professional to other fields so um as an architect from this generation um you should start including technology in your in your practice and that does not mean just you know a new software that means like new practices uh, new workflows, um, start integrating AI. And I don't mean the candy images that we see of, of AI, right? Uh, they're nice, licked Pinterest images, uh, all perfect and cute. And, um, not that. Uh, integrate that as part of your uh, form finding system, for example, or, or your workflow or your brainstorm. Um, or integrate AI like for, from the point of view of individual or omniverse and deeper uh, AI topics than just image generation. Um, integrate Unreal Engine, integrate VR, integrate AR. AR is, is going to explode, take it from me. Two years AR is exploding just because of the new headsets. And what will follow mm -hmm. after that headset will be new headsets for AR. So augmented reality will happen way before the metaverse or the immersive environments will happen. So do you want to start with something? Don't start with a heavy meal which is metaverse and immersive environments, start by understanding AR. Um, I've heard like actually good architects on the metaverse saying, why are architects responsible for AR? Like, why are they not? <laughs> because AR is literally just a digital layer inside you, on your space uh, to improve it. And a digital layer to improve space is the responsibility of no other than an architect because it is improving a space. So if we can get to this digital layer of improving or reimagining spaces with AR, if I was not on the metaverse, I was like an old vision to that. Um, mm. I cannot be on all trenches. <laughs> if you are really in for, you know what, like I understand gamification in a way that can uh, benefit from architecture or architecture that can benefit from gamification when it comes to immersive environments, then you're really looking for a new way of experiencing architecture that is a digital one. And for that, how would you start, you ask me? 
like from a very practical uh, standpoint is first understand the platforms that you have available. You either take the risk and you are investing right now. And I know a couple of companies who are doing that uh, in Unreal Engine, which is not a, a platform that is running the metaverse currently, but it will. So if you can take the risk, it will, it will 100%. Okay. So if you can take the risk on investing on something that you think you have a vision, they have a vision for, invest on it. Invest on Omniverse, uh, like you did the research. Do the research on Omniverse. Do the start doing Unreal Engine, and that's a very good way to start. If not, look at the platforms that we have already. Uh, look at Moniverse. Uh, look at Worlds. Um, look at uh, not the central and the sandbox, but see how it works. And and then start looking for clients for that. And that's for the immediate, for the present. Um, otherwise, just do your traditional architecture and do take some risks outside and invest on what's risk takers like Unreal Engine or Omniverse and Indivia. So, yeah. Fantastic tips. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> them. Uh, I, and just to add to what you were saying, I, I, I think I suspect that some of the challenges of, you know, architects, especially young architects, not adapting the new technologies is lack of awareness and lack of education. Yeah. So uh, your Metafluid studio courses, would those be like a good like a jumping point for people to get into definitely. Metaverse architecture? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I give you the tools. I hand you the tools <laughs> to literally yeah. like, this is how you do it. <laughs> if you want to use Maya also, I make sure to say like, if you want to use Maya as your workflow, this is how you do it. And Unreal Engine, which is what I think is, is the best bet and investment. Uh, but yeah. to your point, um, is what's stopping this generation um, to adapt to, to current times and adapt the profession? Is it the lack of knowledge and accessibility? I actually don't think so. I think they have, and we have um, all the means to find what we are looking for. This is what our, our algorithms are made for. I think it's the older generation that is stopping us. And there is this issue on progress um, and what does progress mean and how fast is progress going, society progress. Uh, and progress is kind of a subject that I've dwelled on since I was very young. I was obsessed with what does progress mean since I, I wrote my thesis in when I was 24, 23. So what is progress and how could we keep up with it? And what mm -hmm. I could tell now is that we will always and feel like the progress is not fast enough, uh, especially when you're doing metaverse or AI. When you get this close to technology, you understand that this is not going fast enough. We are not there yet on anything where our brain sees the potential or when you have a new technology being developed, you understand the potential of it and you always feel like are not going fast enough when you get this close to it. So if you are running AI, if you're running uh, immersive experience, you feel like we're not there. We are not there. We are, you're fighting about against something that is not there, but you could see the potential. And the problem is we need a, a generational swap for that to happen. And you know that you see the other generation, you feel like we need to replace this generation and swap with our generation for the progress to happen, which is a very unfair thing to say, but it's the reality. And then the problem is whenever this generation swaps, so we are the ones in charge, the next generation is actually expecting another generational swap and the progress they see will require our generation to retire 
and this is happening, we are not saying progress in life because we are working until later in life. We are a lot older than we were before working under our values um, as older people, as an older generation. So progress is not running in, in front of our eyes. We are delaying it. Um, it will happen, pretty sure the progress happens, but you will never see it at its peak. You, have already, you are already gone. You're out of here. Uh, when the progress that you wanted reaches its peak. And this is kind of frustrating to see. Um, I, I feel that what's stopping this generation from adapting is being under the other generation. And whenever we are the ones with, with the uh, new generations under us, they will be expecting us to retire as well. It's, it's kind of hard. It's like a hard loop, but you just work for progress with faith, right? The same way that these kids, they should uh, have faith in progress, even if they're not going to see it and they are not going to see it reaching its peak. It's not just architecture industries, even like uh, society concepts like equality or uh, from race to gender. We will never see the peak. And as a woman, for example, I'm expecting to see the peak that I'm working for. I want to see it because I'm working for it. So I want the reward. But I know I will never see it because I need the generational swap. And whenever I'm gone, probably the peak will um, probably will reach its peak when it comes to equality. So they just have to have faith on it and I mean, work for something that you believe in, even if you're not going to see it at its peak. Excellent advice there. And I, I suppose what you're saying is you kind of have to be an outsider, right? Outsider like the expectations yeah. and take a bit more risk, essentially, to try to experiment with some, some of these new technologies and ways of, yeah. of uh, exploring architecture design. Exactly. Have faith in change, even if you're not going to experience it. You have to build the yeah. change. <laughs> for someone to be experiencing it, build it, build the change. And we're in a really tricky situation right now, because if you look at what the media is doing in regards to AI, it's like the death of, of the productive man, right? I and know, you're like, I know, I know, I know. That's another what? subject. <laughs> but, but it's exactly that, because, you know, you say progress, and progress means different things to different people. You explain yeah. about, like, uh, your uh, equal, equality, equal rights, right? That's one way of uh, describing progress. Other ways of describing progress is something you kind of touched upon, which is that when we expect to work less and get a better reward, which and in that sense, you know, progress is not coming. And I think it's from that perspective that people are looking at the AI from like, a, I'm, yeah. I think, a totally different lens that probably you and I are looking at it, where I see it only as like, a positive way you know i want something to help me be more creative faster yeah right but other people are looking at it no that's going to potentially take my job and it's already happening for example online marketing you know like a lot of industries are reducing it because you have chat gpt writing your copy yeah and so on but it's funny because i felt this directly with my parents it was very interesting the way i taught my mom uh, chat and she's a psychologist mm -hmm. Uh, she's an mm -hmm. educator and she writes a lot of scientific uh, articles. And she's like 65 and still works a lot, like works on Sundays. And it's like, for, for my generation, it's kind of depressing. Um, she <laughs> works, she works, she, I think she enjoys it. And she writes a lot of articles uh, for many scientific magazines. So I had to teach her ChatGDP, like, listen, 
let's make this faster. Let me just introduce you to ChatGTP. The first thing she wrote and the first thing she did there was to see how she would be replaced and how would knowledge be replaced. And that was very interesting to see. I was kind of from afar looking and she was making questions that she would do to her students, for example, and she would see like the whole answers. And her reaction to it was like, my God, like the amount of work that my students actually need to do to reach to these answers is like a lot of books that they are not going to read. And um, so the answer is right here. I said, okay, mom, I see what you're doing now and you're seeing the danger first. And now let's look at it differently. Let's see how this will actually reward you and uh, increase your potential. So let's start making other type of questions. What's the question that would make your work better? And she, she started immediately, like, cross this article with this author. Boom, boom, boom. She's like, okay, this, this can help me. And then, obviously, I had to show her, like, okay, but there are other pages that are how to detect ChatGTP. So <laughs> let's still also understand that there is the one that detects ChatGTP or detects AI. So it's funny how our instinct will always be, how am I in danger? And then our second instinct, if you're smart, is how can this be a powerful tool for me? And this, I saw this with my mom firsthand. Um, you very either, insightful. Yeah. Very, very insightful. And so your mom is a psychologist. So I guess you get like some free yes. training on how, you know, to, to, to uh, have the mental capacity to, to, to do what you're doing. Because I believe venturing out on your own, right, to anything that's non-traditional architecture, uh, requires a, a very strong mental capacity, right? Like to just be inspired every day to do, to deliver. And do you have any tips for people to of how you maintain your well-being? It's a good question. A lot of people ask me that because I think in a way I kind of represent that, you know, with my social media, I make sure that it's not just uh, a work Pinterest. I show what I do, what I don't do. I went on vacations and uh, I have a lot of people seeing me as a reference for their hard work and i also have a lot of people seeing me as a reference of uh, put, investing on breaks on my work uh, especially professionals they're like oh, it's so good to see that you have a healthy uh, lifestyle mm -hmm. um so i think the tips is it's so hard and it's a, such a hard question because it's very subjective some people really do take this as a hard job and if I was writing like numbers of my PC, I would say work six hours a day because I hate it. But if you're doing something that you really like, you kind of, you enjoy doing it. So you stay a little bit longer. And some people actually pointed the fingers at me for saying that. But if you really like it, invest your time because you enjoy it. Um, apart from that, make sure that you have your breaks and... I really enjoy traveling. I think it also brings a lot of good values to my work to see how other cultures develop and uh, with, under which space. So what type of architecture comes with what culture. So definitely traveling is a good way to stop your work and to take some breaks. Apart from that, I think I'm going to be very old school when I say this and it will be very old in, in the future to hear this, but I work your ass off work more in a hundred years from now yeah they will like how to get a millionaire from your couch and <laughs> and then like from the other generation saying you know what is it hurting it's probably good <laughs> no i'm joking <laughs> that's very bad that's kind of religion kind of no but um i i am a true believer of hard work work more are they doing are you running a, 
a marathon, some people do the extra miles, do the extra miles, and after those, do some more extra miles, and that's your extra mile. And that's how I've done my whole life. Is it a marathon? Some people do extra miles, you're running with them, then you do your own extra miles. Um, I, w I was like known in my school as the girl who was working on the basement for overnights, and I was working alone in this basement, the whole university. I was every day in this basement working and so people would just stop by and talk and then disappear. It was like a normal practice. Um, for that, and that just comes to show that I believed in hard work and I got rewarded for it. Sometimes I didn't, but most of the times I got rewarded for my hard work. So put the time and the effort in. Put the time and the effort in. There's no other answer for it. It will not land on your lap at all. Especially if you are from some kind of minority, it will not land on your lap at all. So put the time, put the effort, 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's no shortcut about it. No. Uh, but uh, so I do meditation daily. I started I I, and I've, 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 you know, I've done it on and off, you know, sometimes I've gone to like uh, meditation courses and uh, I, I find that like super helpful and not like big ones, you know, like now I'm using Calm, which is an app on my phone, right? Yeah. And they have like these daily meditations and it's so nice just for 10 minutes to not stare at yeah, my phone true. and, you know, pointlessly look at that. I think we have to make like an effort in it into like an active effort. And when I was working in offices in London, what was working really well for me was actually having walks every day. So for lunch, I was like the antisocial person because, you know, totally agree with you. Working yeah. hard is super important. Uh, but I was lucky that I always worked near like a park or the Barbican at one point. So at lunch, I knew it. I was not the very social person. You know, I wouldn't go have like drinks. That's with exactly me. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> That's me. Funny. <laughs> I would but, never. It was very rare to join someone at lunch because lunchtime for me is a disruption. If you're going around and talking with people and like my mind is not there. I mean, I, yeah, it's like more business, right? You need like time to unplug a little bit then it's social culture that expects you to be like extra social when you're not at work but yeah. your brain needs a break <laughs> i agree i agree yeah. with you it's it was very rare for me to actually i had some rules with my girlfriends when uh, from the office when they wanted to have lunch with other people i'd say i'll have lunch with you if there is no one else i'm not gonna do like social uh totally. attempts or, yeah. or like efforts Good. i'm not gonna do it I don't want one any to one, efforts. you can actually yeah. like talk to people, right? When it's yeah. a group, you're just like, oh yeah, the weather's nice. Or like this client said this, or, you know, exactly. like uh, that no, no, colleague did up. that. And you're like, right now, it's not, it hasn't been very easy for me since leaving London, you know, because uh, I work from a room, which is, you know, my bedroom is next door, right? And we kind of live in the suburbs. So there isn't like a lot of places to walk around. And meditation is like a super time saver. Yeah. And, you know, people, when they think of meditation, they think, you know, like sitting cross-legged for like an hour. Uh, but no, in fact, at one point with a former colleague of mine, a friend of mine, in, when I was working near the Barbican, we found like some cheap, not cheap, free meditation courses at the room somewhere in the back of the Barbican. We're like, wow, mm -hmm. cool. So we'll just go there for like half an hour. Mm -hmm. for lunchtime no i take meditation very seriously especially people who takes it seriously which i couldn't yeah. take it so far 
um, because I, I have a hard head to like actually get into the meditation state, which is the kind of people who actually need the meditation. You're exactly the yeah. person that needs to spend. <laughs> I know, and, and I know. It, it, and it's not only you, it's the architecture, it's the profession. We are mental. And think about how we use the word mental. Beyond, like, we use it in a bad way, right? Saying, hey, mate, you're, you're going mental, mental, right? Like, you're going crazy. But that's our job. We're, like, all inside of our heads, like, thinking about all these fantastic and creative ways to express buildings in the that's built environment. And yeah. it's so hard to unplug. It is so, so hard to unplug. But it's I important. I was doing the, the meditation course by Sam Harris. You should do. It. You should try it. Sam Harris. He's like one of the gurus, and yeah. it was actually working pretty well. And you can tell that in the beginning, you cannot get it. Like you cannot get in the state that you can. You understand that he's implying that uh, will help yeah. you. And then with time, you actually you actually do it. You're actually there, and it did help me, especially to fall asleep, um, mm -hmm. to get out of my head, and to find this numbness that for me, it's impossible, the concept of like brain numbers. Um, but with, with Sam Harris, actually, I, I got it many times. Great. Yeah, thanks. I'll check it out. But yeah, just for it. anybody else, there's like, even on YouTube, you can find or Spotify, like meditations. Yeah. And then there's like the Headspace app and the Calm apps. I think yeah. they, they cost money, but it's like the best money I've spent, you know, of like making my life a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that's all I wanted to talk to you. It's been a great chat. So thank you so much, especially I think I for know. the insights for for how people for for how people can get started with um, exploring the metaverse because that's a hot topic. I, and I think you're right. You mentioned it elsewhere uh, of your description of how right now we're experiencing everything is two D, but eventually everything will be three D, and all that three yeah. D needs design. So there's definitely going to be more people that need to jump into it, especially architecture with a theoretical background and expertise to understand how to make those spaces useful. What we need, I suppose, is definitely more courses that expose that. And we have some. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Dimitar. It was really nice. Uh, I think we could stay here for hours. <laughs> yeah. If, we, can... we do have like a very interesting common point on when it comes to psychology and uh, and I did not know that you were so well informed about it. Uh, psychology and architecture in our profession. And, and that would have been like also a great conversation. Well, we can plan that on next time. And I think it yeah. would be great to see what can be done for the profession to improve the well-being of all the wonderful, hardworking and creative people that we know out there. Yeah, I agree. And it's really yeah. good to see you like out there. I feel like we are one of the ones that are out there like spreading uh, online knowledge and it's cool. Like I, I know that we are like on the same uh, kind of stage online, which is actually very inspiring also for me to be at. So thank you so much and thank you for this invitation. Yeah, I'm honestly inspired by all the work that you do all the time, you thank know, like you. the courses and oh, oh like all the engagements, even Wilder Worlds, because that was like, wow, okay. You know, we have like a super talented architect, like really like full on jumping in the metaverse. Let's see what yeah. happens, you know? So yeah, it's been great. And yeah, so thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Mita. It was a pleasure. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us in this podcast episode. And make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform or on YouTube. 
to stay up to date with the latest podcast episodes. We've got a number of good ones coming up. And again, thank you to all the Patreons that are helping sponsor this content. See you next time.